seated above, enthroned in the Father's love. Destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned.
the scripture for today, which is Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 10. It says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. All right, well, good morning. My name is Daniel. I am uh, the lead pastor here at Emmanuel Church. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Scott's from the Malfers Group. You guys met him about a month and a half ago, and I just got to testify to the uh, wonderful time we had discussing just how to raise up leaders here. you hear more about that in the coming you know, weeks and months and everything and see more of that. So you'll be hearing a little more from Scott as well uh, in the back half of our time today. And um, great, this is a exciting service. We have baptisms. It's wonderful. Guys, for thousands of years, okay, in, in church history, church Christianity is 2,000 years old. It's one of the oldest faiths in this world that is still being practiced. And since the earliest of days, baptism has been the way in which people enter into the Christian church. In all branches, whether it's Catholic or Coptic or Protestant or Baptist or whatever it may be, there's different, you know, forms of baptism I know, but baptism is still the very entry point into the faith for thousands of years. And so what you're witnessing has been something witnessed by people all over the world for, for millennia, seeing uh, uh, men and women identify with Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their King. We'll be talking about that this morning as we walk through this passage we just heard in the book of Romans. And so uh, baptism, is it, a, you know, is it a one-time event? Is it something that we do once, right? And it has no other further significance to us. We just kind of, we get baptized. Many of you in this room uh, have been baptized, right? So is that a one and done kind of thing? In a way, the answer is yes, right? You don't need to be baptized multiple times. It is a, a one-time identification that I, I belong to Jesus now. He's, I've confessed my sins. He has washed me. He has forgiven me, and he is my new Lord and my King. But in a way, as Romans 6, as we just heard, baptism, you kind of live it out the rest of your life. It is a symbolic thing, if we're going to see, but in a way, it's symbolism. is something that becomes uh, woven into the very patterns of your life. And when one becomes a Christian, the Spirit of God makes his home inside of us. And he starts kind of weaving him and his, his love and his very being into ours, which as we are changed from the inside, it leads to the outward transformation of our, our habits, 
of the things we hold dear, the, the things we love in life, the way we live, how our relationships uh, are, are carried out, how our parenting, like all these things become deeply transformed. And I, I'm getting far too ahead. Let's look at the text here. So baptism is uh, ultimately, it is a, a symbol. Before we get into Romans, we have to understand this kind of background, all right, of baptism. Is a visual of the Exodus story. Some of you know what that means. Some of you, maybe you don't. Uh, Exodus, the Exodus story is kind of the, the background noise of the act of baptism. And we're going to walk through that Exodus story so you understand exactly kind of why baptism, like why of all things, when somebody becomes a Christian, is brought into the, why baptism? Why this dunking and burying somebody underwater to raise them back out again? Like what is this, why that of all things? Well, to understand the Exodus story begins early on in our Bibles. It's just a second book in. And uh, this is a story when, when Israel for, for four centuries had been enslaved in the nation of Egypt for 400 years. You know, chains on the hands. They, were, they had no freedom. They were, uh, they were slaves to Pharaoh for his building projects. They had, their life did not belong to themselves. And they cried out saying, God, you know, you have promised to, to bring us into this land uh, as their forefather Abraham was promised from God. But here we are in these chains. Can you not rescue us? Can you not redeem us from, from slavery in Egypt? And so God calls Moses to go and to actually go before Pharaoh and say, God is ordering you to let his people go. And if not, there's going to be some drastic things that may happen until you bend your knee to God, until you let his people go. And so you can read the story of the miraculous things of, of the plagues that came. And maybe you've seen, you know, the old movies, if you aren't, if you're not really familiar with the Bible. And, you know, a lot of extraordinary things happened before Pharaoh. Uh, finally, on the last event, which was when all of the firstborn children in Egypt uh, they woke up one morning and, and all those children had died as the angel of death passed through. But the children of Israel, the firstborn, were saved by the blood of the lamb that was painted over their doorposts. And finally, Pharaoh said, look, get, your, get, get them out of here. Like, we're, we're done. Get these people out of Egypt. Moses, take them and go. And so as Israel leaves Egypt, if you have a map in your minds, right, if you, Israel, the land of Israel is north of Egypt, and so you have to kind of go through some wilderness before you get to the promised land. And there's also a giant sea kind of in the way called the Red Sea. And so as Israel is traveling out of Egypt to get to this promised land, one of the first stops is a ginormous sea that at its widest point is over 190 miles in length, okay? We're not sure what point they were, but this is a, it's a big obstacle. And so Israel, numbering by the, some think hundreds of thousands, if not millions, were brought before this sea. And God was, said, yeah, I want to redeem you out of Egypt. I want to bring you to the promised land. We're going to well, set you free, become my people. And now they're looking at the sea. And then somebody says, oh, uh, look behind us, guys. And there is Pharaoh's army with their chariots. And his heart became hard once again. And he said, what did I do? I let all these people go. We have to go back and get them. And so here's a sea in front of them. Pharaoh's army is behind them. And they start actually yelling out to Moses saying, oh, is it because there's not enough graves in Egypt that you have taken us all the way here to die in the desert? 
What in the world have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? It is better for us to serve in slavery, the Egyptians, than to die here in the desert. And then Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord that he will provide for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you will be still. Then the Lord told Moses to point his staff to the sea. You got to think of Moses here. Like, he's a real person, okay? And he's looking at the sea, and God is saying, all right, point your staff. And he's thinking, like, okay, like what? And divide the sea. I mean, this is a wild story, right? So Moses actually, he obeys. He points his staff, and as the story goes, the sea begins through a great wind separating. And the children of Israel walk as if on dry land through this See, And as they're walking, and they're walking unto freedom, out of Egypt, past the sea, as Israel finally makes it through, uh, Egypt's army is coming close at hand as fast as they can. And as soon as Israel makes it over, and Egypt is now within the Red Sea, God makes the ocean fall back, and Egypt's army is drowned. And that is the Exodus story. That story is kind of the backdrop for so much of the Bible. To understand a lot of what goes on in this big old book here is to understand that story. Because for all of Israel's history, they can look back and say, you know, we were slaves in Egypt and we didn't redeem ourselves. There was the miraculous work of God brought us out. And so God has saved us. God has drawn us into himself, given us this promised land. And now we belong to him. And so much of the, of the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, is just remembering. Remember what God has done for you. Remember the salvation he has brought for you. Remember, remember, remember. Well, we got to fast forward now many centuries in our story until one of the prophets of Israel, after they had been established in the land, they had kings and, you know, systems of government, and they became more and more established. Well, as they became more prosperous, as the centuries went on, they ebbed and flowed out of walking with God and then not walking with God. And more of their story than not really is not living as if they belonged to God's people, but living unto themselves. As the book of Judges says, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. But God would, in his grace, send what we call prophets to actually go and to say, hey, 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 guys, this is God's mouthpiece, if you will, like his little um, megaphone, to say, hey, guys, like, don't you remember what he's done for you? Remember the great and wonderful things he has done for you? What, what are you doing? Right? You, you're now bowing to these false gods. You're, you're going after these other gods around you that have these empty promises of life elsewhere. You're abandoning the one who redeemed you from slavery, and you're exchanging your freedom in him for new chains, for new, uh, new chains of sin that is always going to destroy you. What are you doing? So that's what the prophets did. And one prophet, Isaiah, came, and he spoke of a new exodus that was to come. Something kind of like that event we just talk, we just talked about in the book of Exodus. But he says it's going to be a new kind of event, but different. Like God is going to be pursuing his people. He's going to redeem them and save them once again for themselves, but in a new and in a fresh way. We see in Isaiah 43, this is what it says. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea. And remember, hit the, keep the story in your mind here, because many centuries after that event, Isaiah says, 
Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down and they cannot rise. They are extinguished and quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. As Israel was realizing in this stage of their life, they had another nation, was, their power was kind of being imposed on Israel, and they were in danger once again, once again becoming enslaved to another nation. They're like, oh God, like, what are you going to do here? Are you going to help us? Like, I remember the time you saved us from Egypt. Are, are you going to do something like that again? And God says, no, 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 don't, don't remember the former things. Listen, don't consider the things of old. Because I am doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. He didn't make a way in the sea, but he's saying, look, I want to make a way in the wilderness this time and bring rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself that I might declare my praise. The last salvation was splitting the waters, but this time he is bringing waters of life into places where there is none. He is going to bring refreshment in the dry places where there is none to be found because that is the work that I am going to do. And as the story goes, as it turns out, this new exodus was not so much a physical uh, kind of liberating act from these nations because Israel eventually was exiled from the land. It turns out that this new exodus would take place within his people. As he said through another prophet, I want to take away that hard stone of a heart that you have. This more like a wilderness inside of you, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I will cause waters of life to spring up within you. And that's what the new exodus is going to be, bringing life into a place where there was none. And so fast forward again, more centuries. You have this, what I would imagine to be, you ever talk to somebody who's like, it's kind of like a little crazy, like not crazy, like when I mean crazy, I mean just like a little wild, like ah, like you know, think of like the playground, like elementary school, there's that one kid who's always just a step in his feistiness above everybody else. If you play with him, you probably walk away with a bloody lip or something just because he's like, ah, you know. I have one kid that's kind of like that in my house, right? Um, and they're always a blessing. They're great. I would imagine John the Baptist was kind of like that. Like, you look him in the eye, it's like, ooh, this guy is a little, he's a little fiery. Like, what's going on here, right? Because he's, as the story comes in the book of Matthew, he's living in the wilderness. He's living in the desert. That's weird. Okay, who lives in the wilderness, in the desert? And he eats locusts for dinner, weird. And he wears camel garments, like garments made out of, this, this guy, he fits the bill. Crazy hair, big beard, eating grasshoppers and wearing camel hair, living in the wilderness. Yeah, that's, that's John the Baptist. But he's, he's, this is 700 years or so after Isaiah, and he's preaching, okay? And he's quoting Isaiah. This is south of Jerusalem. Um, at this point, the Romans were overseeing Israel. They had full control of Israel, and it was a whole different period in the history here. But he's crying out in the wilderness. He's saying, uh, he said, I'm preparing a way for the Lord. I'm making his paths straight in the wilderness. 
This voice is crying out in the wilderness. And think of paths in the wilderness and paths of sea, but also new rivers coming in. There's connection points going on here in the story. And it was at this time that Jesus was alive and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. He was actually brought underneath the water and brought out of the water. And John's baptism was one of the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, the Son of God, was baptized by John in a way identifying with sinful humanity, to saying, I am God in the flesh, but I'm also, I do have skin and bones. I identify with sinful Israel, even though he himself was without sin. So he was baptized, but he began talking about, interestingly enough, in Mark chapter 10, you see it, that he said, I'm going to die soon. And he was claiming to be the king of Israel that would save them forever and ever and be the king that they had been looking for, the one to actually redeem them once and for all. But he kept now saying, I'm going to die. And his disciples are like, well, if you're going to be kind of like that new Moses person who's going to, you know, bring us into a new deliverance from Rome, this, this new exodus, like, what, you're going to die? No, that's not, how this, that's not how a deliverer would deliver people. You can't do that if you're going to die. Like, what are you talking about? And he even referred to his death as his coming baptism in Mark chapter 10. His coming death likened to those waters that caused the Egyptians to perish in the Red Sea. He said, I have a baptism that is coming. And indeed, it came. He died, murdered by the Romans for claiming to be Lord when Caesar was Lord. He died just as any other sinner would die, even though he himself was without sin. Just as that Egyptian army perished in the waters of death, Jesus also perished in the waters of death. As he, as if he himself were a sinner, even though he was not. We call this substitutionary uh, atonement or death that covered all of us. That if we recognize that we have sin in our own life and we feel that shame, we feel that guilt, we feel just the burden and heaviness of all those things and the scars that we've even brought to others through that sin, Jesus died for you. He took off those things from you and placed it on himself as his body was beaten and bruised. He did that in your place. And he died. He was buried just as Egypt was buried in the waters. He was buried in the grave. And now we know three days later, there was a resurrection event where the grave was burst open. Jesus comes walking out, emerging from the waters of death with new life. And this is where the new exodus comes into play, the idea of an arid place with no life, the wilderness. I was in Arizona a few weeks ago, and there's just nothing there but like brown dirt. I mean, I guess it's kind of pretty, but I didn't think it was very pretty. There's just nothing there. I like green and like life. The desert is nothing there. There's, 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 it's, it's the place where thorns are. Like, you don't want to be there, okay? Now, just imagine Jesus in his grave. There was no life there. There was nothing. But as he came out of the grave, this is this kind of new exodus happening that God brought life where there was none, As he came bursting out of that grave and he said, I am the king of Israel and I'm inviting all people to come and to believe in me, to take me on as their new king, that this new life that I have been given can now be given to them. And so Jesus, when he left this earth, he ascended back to heaven. He then sent down his spirit to to fill those who placed their faith in him. And this is where things get We'll be closing here in a second here, where things get amazing. We went to our text in Romans and to where Jesus now dwells 
in those with faith. And so his burial and his resurrection, as baptism shows, as we are buried underneath the waters and raised up out of the waters, the idea of Christ dying, Egypt perishing in the waters, and being brought out of there, where there was no life before, now the desert has springs of water, they're brought out of the water, Jesus bursts out of that grave. Listen how Paul talks about us inside of this story. I'll read this one more time. We heard Scott say earlier, he said, This is from Paul, Romans chapter 6 is the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Interesting, right? We're baptized into his death We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what Paul is saying. Speaking to people, in this case, who are already Christians, he says, remember your baptism, guys? When you were living as if, you know, you were still back in Egypt Um, you've been free from that in your baptism. Like, do you remember when you were baptized? Well, I want you to picture Jesus on the cross dying because of your sin. And he's saying, look, when, when you were baptized and buried, like you also died to sin. You also died to that former person that you used to be right? All those things that happen in your life and the, and the, and the, the selfish indulgences and the passions and the, the zeals that we lived unto ourselves, trying to find satisfaction in things that simply cannot deliver anything but destruction and brokenness in our story. He said, you've, you've died unto all of that. The death of Christ is now kind of your death. And as he was uh, uh, raised from the dead, you too are also raised When the Holy Spirit has given you that soft heart, now you've received a new life inside of you. It's just what we call the, you you are in union with Jesus. Now you say, okay, whoa, 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 this is getting getting funky, all right? Because we live in a Western society where, you know, scientism is kind of the thing. We don't believe in that mumbo jumbo supernatural stuff. You know, what we see is what we get. We know that because our science textbooks tells us. And um, clearly, you know, this is just all kind of, uh, you know, uh, old superstitious things that kind of have somehow stuck around until 2021. And no, I don't don't buy this stuff, right? I'll tell you that there is plenty of mystery still in this world that we like to try to dismiss as if we can just kind of rationalize everything and explain it all away, right? Right? But there's some things that are kind of subjective in the sense of when you see something happen, there's sometimes just not really an explanation. And some of that comes from truly seeing a person radically changed by Jesus. When you see him actually working in somebody, you say, you, you aren't the same person. Like, I've seen people go through that. Like, my wife, she, she tells her testimony. Many of you have a similar testimony. This is how I used to live, and I met Jesus, and I just woke up, and I just, I thought differently about people. 
and I saw things differently. I don't have an explanation for this. It's like I, I, I had this, this drive to, to, to love and be concerned for others even more than myself, and I suddenly felt guilty when I didn't do that. I'm like, where does this come from? Like, where does this come the explanation is, well, God's God inside of you altering and shaping your heart to reorient you in your life towards God and towards others and away from yourself. Dying to that old self and being born again into his newness. That's the way that we kind of continually live out the patterns, if you will, in our baptism. This new life in Christ is one of dying every day. You know, Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 15, said, I die every day. It's like, what are we talking about? Because we know how strong self is, right? And it, the Christian life is a call to literally die every single day to yourself. Like, to wake up and say, it's not about me, it's not about me, it's not about me, it's not about me. Because everything inside of you says, yes, it is. It's all about you. The whole world actually revolves around you. It's all about you. And then you're like, no, 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 no. It's not, because when you make it about you, you know that there's a path of destruction that quickly follows. And the new life in Christ says it's not about you, it's about him. And it's about bringing him to those around you. That's what this new life in Christ is. It's not about you anymore. And so as we're about to witness baptism here in a few minutes, I want you to see this, that baptism's holy, okay? It's holy. Like it's sometimes as, you know, I come from the Baptist background, and sometimes we, we, we think that baptism is just a symbol, you know, kind of, there's something holy that we're about to observe here. I want you to listen to the remainder of what we see in Romans. Paul says in verse five, he says, if, you, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we talked about that, we will certainly be also united with him in his resurrection, the new life. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives he lives unto God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The people we're going to see baptized today are being baptized into the death of Christ and also baptized into his new life. It happened upon conversion, but their public confession of that is it's, it's, it's actually, we're going to see it. Like, I don't know how this works, all right? There's mystery here. I'm perfectly content with the mystery. There's plenty of mysterious things in life. There's a mystery here, but it's holy what we're going to observe. And as Christians, after baptism, we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, but we also carry around his resurrection power. We also carry around the same power that rose him from the dead. And so Paul says, I want you to calculate all of this. Consider all of this. He says, you're dead to sin, but you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in the close here, as we get the back end of our sermon, you know how people learn of the death of Christ? Right? How does that happen? How do people learn of the death of Christ? And how do they learn of these things? If you're a Christian this morning, they learn, learn of it primarily through you. Our words are fine, right? I could say these things and live, go home and live a terrible life to my wife and kids and not embody any of these things. And we know those are empty words then. 
when we see this in people, right, is the most powerful testimony available. And if you're a Christian this morning, right, people learn of what it means that Jesus died on the cross and that he received new life through your life. This stuff is expressed, this, this gospel is expressed through how you love your neighbors. You are the first place in which someone sees what it means to die every day to self and live into the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So thus, this congregation in Emmanuel Church, I want us to be cross-shaped. Wherever patterns of sin that are aimed at making life about you, that stuff has died. When the world calls us to do you, right? Or, or if only, you know, you can be free of whatever restraints to do what you want to do. And that's the mantra of our life. Jesus says, no, 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 you, you died to that. Like, you, you died to yourself. No, you're a living sacrifice onto me. The central focus of our life is now oriented away from self and onto God. And so we carry around a cross-shaped existence as a Christian. As Jesus gave himself up for others, that becomes the pattern of how we live. We show the love of God in our sacrificial living of love to one another. And people learn the gospel through our actions. And that way, you leave your old self behind in the grave. One, one author said it like this, uh, Michael Gorman. He said, baptism is a symbolic story. Baptism is a symbolic story, not only of incorporation into Christ, but also of ongoing life in Christ. Although a once-for-all death to sin occurs in baptism, as Christ died only once, this death must be constantly reactualized, regularly speaking, regularly every single day. And then the last thing I want to mention is practice the resurrection of Christ. To practice the resurrection. Isn't that a great phrase? To practice the resurrection of Christ. The two-way straight, I make it up, I stole it. Like everything I say, if it sounded cool, I stole it. Sorry. The two-way street and paradox of all this is that when we embody his death, when we die to sin and take on the life of love as a way of life, we are embodying the resurrection, the new way of life by the help of his spirit in this new kingdom. Such is the upside-down way of the kingdom. The life of love, then, is the life of death. And the funny thing is, when we take on such a life of living sacrifice of death, we've been talking about Ephesians for a while, we're actually walking in light of the resurrection all at the same time because that is how the newness comes into us. And so as we um, do through, uh, go through this, I'm, I'm going to call up the, um, the worship team right now. I'm going to call up their baptizees uh, and Pastor Jim to kind of lead their way to start making their way back unto the baptismal here. You may be thinking, all right, this is all great and fine and dandy. Hopefully you have a good understanding of baptism and what's happening here in a few minutes. Um, how do we actually live this out? Like, what is, how is this reality found in our life? Like, what are some practical things that we can do to step into this? Well, um, what better way than, I think, a story? Because I, I think this is actually profoundly, profoundly simple, this idea of practicing a life that is, you know, woven of the, the pattern of, that we see in baptism of death into life that's woven in two hours. I want to I have a story, a testimony to be shared to you guys. Ashley from Scott Ball, who was with us yesterday. And um, it's a very powerful story of, I believe, how this works. Like, how does this work, right? What's a practical way to how this works? Well, he's going to share a story now. 
And um, I think the microphone should be on, so. Tell you a story about my dad. Uh, my dad, uh, he went into foster care when he was seven years old. His mom um, died in a car accident when he was seven, and his dad, his dad suffered from severe PTSD from serving in World War II. And so he went into, um, went into the foster care system at age seven and never saw his dad again after that. Um, went from home to home. Some were great. Um, some were abusive in every way. And uh, my dad just had a very calloused view of church and um, religion. He, in fact, he had been baptized in like five different times because every time he changed denominations, they go, oh, you've not been baptized here? Well, guess what? You get to be baptized again. So my dad did not have a positive view of God or church or any of it. Until he was 17 years old, my dad was um, leaving high school early, going to finish through distance learning, and had enlisted in the Air Force. And so he was, um, he had been, uh, one of his side jobs to make a little money had been to take care of the lawn of this woman named Mrs. Sign. Um, her husband had been a colonel in the, in the, in the uh, military, and she heard that he was enlisting in the Air Force and, dis- and asked if she could take him out to lunch. And so... No one ever did anything like that for him, and so he thought, sure, okay, yeah. So he goes out to not just a burger or something, but a really nice meal, a really nice lunch, and she uh, slides a box across the table and gives him a watch, a self-winding watch, and says, listen, if there's uh, anything about being in the military you need to know, you need to be on time. And so they have this nice meal, and then after that she takes him to um, uh, the house of a man who wrote gospel tracts. Um, didn't sit there and explain the gospel to him or anything, just handed him a box full of gospel tracts. And my dad felt obligated that night to sit down and read the entire box full of tracts out of uh, just, you know, since he thought it would be nice to do since she had treated him so kindly. And so he sat there, he read all of them, and um, after reading all the tracks, he decided that he was going to make a decision. He decided to follow Jesus. And he prayed this prayer, Jesus, I believe in you, but if I go to hell, it's your fault. And uh, woke up the next day. He says he used to have a terrible, um, just a terrible mouth. And when he woke up that day, uh, he went to say a curse word, and for the first time in his life, felt this sense that he shouldn't say it. And at that time, he knew his life had been completely changed. So this one act of kindness in this woman, an old woman, she just, all she knew to do was to take him to lunch, to show him kindness, and let someone else hand him a box of tracks. He went on, and he's, in his life, he's been an elder sometimes, but most commonly, he has served as a sixth-grade boy's Sunday school teacher my whole life growing up. He loved working with sixth-grade boys um, because they were old enough to get some concepts, but young enough that you could still kind of goof with them, and, and they weren't, like, too cool for you. Um, and every week, my dad would bring donuts. We would stop by this donut shop on the way to church. And every week, he would teach a lesson, and he'd bring a box of donuts. He'd open it up at the end of the class and just say, Hey, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Just taste and see that the Lord is good. He'd say it to literally every kid as they'd grab a donut. If there were any extras, he'd stand in the hallway, try to flag down any other kids and go, hey, come on, grab one. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And he would just pass these out. And uh, to this day, I still get messages. Uh, People will send me messages on Facebook or an email or whatever. And they'll go, hey, your dad taught me such and such. And I'll never forget, he used to say, taste and see that the Lord is good and give us a donut. I walked away from the faith for a season in my life, but I, I came back to the faith. And your dad's, your dad's story, your dad's teaching, your dad's kindness to me made a difference. And I'm standing here with you today. Um, my life's been changed, and I grew up in a Christian home because a woman took my dad to lunch. That's what a baptized life looks like. Simple acts of kindness, just doing the right thing in the moment, listening to the Holy Spirit, who might tell you, you know that punk kid who's kind of a jerk? Take him to lunch. In that moment, she could never knew the legacy of faith that would follow behind her. And you never know what might happen because of what you do. I believe she knows now, because she's obviously not with us anymore. It's been many years. But I must think that she swells with pride every time someone makes a choice like people are today. Because of the impact, the long trail behind simple acts of kindness in the name of Jesus. Thanks for letting me share the story. Thank you, Scott. That's it. Sacrifice of Christ shown in a nice lunch with a gift. And the love of Christ shown in handing him a track and somebody's life was radically changed. I think any of you in this room are capable of something like that, right? And that is a life lived out with the patterns of our baptism woven into it. So I want to pray. We're going to sing a song and see some baptisms. So let me pray. Jesus, I, um, I thank you so much that the, the, the power of, of sacrifice, of, of love, Lord, that you being the God-man, decided to come to earth to, to die such a horrific death in our place, Lord. And Lord, you have called the church to be your body in this world, Lord, to, to be willing to sacrifice for others in order that we may uh, love them and tell them the good news, and Lord, to see other people's lives radically change as they meet you, Lord, as we walk into the newness of our own life. Um, Lord, I, I pray that um, for everybody sitting in this room, Lord, that they would just catch a, a glimpse of how simple this kind of life could be, Lord, and the impact that they could make on their neighbors and family and coworkers, Lord, through the extension of just of loving them and serving them the same way that you loved us and served us. And so, Jesus, thank you that your, your Holy Spirit is with us, that you have not left us, you never forsake us, Lord. And um, yeah, thank, and we just, what a blessed day to be able to witness baptisms. And so um, we look forward to it. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So you guys arise, we'll sing a song and we'll, uh, we'll get started. I came to you my heart in pieces and found the God 
with healing in his hands I turn to you put everything behind me found the God who makes all things new and I look to you drowning in my questions found the God trusted you and stepped out on the ocean you caught my hand among the waves cause you're the god of all my days each step i take you